I can't, I can't tell y'all, like, every time I hear that, that, that instrumental, it's hard to be spiritual because I feel like freestyling, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like I, I feel like, I feel like I got some bars or something, you know what I mean? Clay, you know I used to spit on the corner, man. I, nah, man, I'm, I'm, here to, I'm here to encourage y'all tonight in the name of Jesus. Man, you guys doing good? Are you guys doing good? Look, if y'all, if y'all rock with me, I may, I may, I may flow a little bit later on, but y'all got to rock with me, man. You guys doing good? All right, all right, all right, man. It's a, it's a tremendous honor to, to be with you all tonight. I'm so excited. Like, it's been, a, it's been a long time. Like, every time I get an opportunity to preach, um, I'm always excited. I'm always honored to do it. But I don't know what the anticipation is for tonight. I don't know what it is. I couldn't sleep last night. I've been processing and meditating all day. Not that I typically don't do that before I speak, but there is some kind of anticipation. I believe this because the Holy Spirit has some work to do tonight in the lives of his people. I truly, I truly do believe that with all my heart. And if you guys have your Bibles, I just want to jump right in if that's all right with you guys. I want you guys to turn with me to the book of Genesis uh, chapter 15. Did you guys bring your Bibles tonight? If you didn't, that's all right. There's, there's one in the sky, but I would definitely encourage you to, to get comfortable and familiar with your word. Because what I can tell you is this, when you're at home facing challenges and opposition, that Bible screen on behind me is not going to be there with you. But if you get a personal relationship with the word of God for yourself, in the middle of the night, in that midnight hour, when you're facing opposition and challenges, you're able to turn to a scripture that is going to be able to rock you through the night. So be a, have a personal relationship with the word of God. We're just getting started. I'm telling you, Clay, I don't know where we're going tonight, bro. They better, they better buckle up. All right, Genesis chapter 15. We're going we're gonna to read uh, a couple of verses in here, and then we're going we're gonna to pray and let the Holy Spirit do some work tonight. Um, Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. I'm reading from the message translation. It says this, after these things, I'll explain to you what these things are so that you'll have context in just a moment. But after these things, the word of God came to Abram in the vision. Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be grand. Abram said, God, master. What use are your gifts as long as I'm childless and Eliezer of Damascus is going to inherit everything? Abram continued, you see, you've given me no children and now a mere house servant is going to get, get it all. Then God's message came, said, don't worry, he won't be your heir for a son from your own body will be your heir. And then he took him outside and said, look at the sky. Can you count the stars? You can't. Count your descendants. You're going to have a big family, Abram. And he believed, this is Abram, and Abram believed, he believed God, and God declared him set right, or your translation may say, God accredited to him as righteousness. God continued to said, I am the same God who brought you out from the Ur of the Chaldeans and gave you this land to own. God wants to remind you that the same God that brought you out of your old situation is the same God that will lead you into your new situation. Someone needs to be encouraged with just that tonight. God said, I'm the same God that brought you out of that other situation and I've got you in some great spaces. But, but Abram has a, a response. He says, God, um, I, I hear what you're saying, but, um, but how do I know that this is really going to all be mine? And God said, bring me a heifer. When's the last time you heard God say, bring me a heifer? God said, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, and a dove and a young pigeon. He brought them all the animals to him. He split them down the middle and laid the two halves opposite of each other. Man, the Old Testament was brutal, man. Game of Thrones got nothing on the Old Testament. He said, split them down the middle, and he laid them on opposite ends of each of other. Um, but he didn't split the birds. The vultures swooped down on the carcasses, but Abram scared them away. Another translation says that Abram drove them away. Skipping down to verse 17, the Bible says, When the sun was down and it was dark, a smoking fire pit and a flaming torch moved between the split carcasses. 
That's when God made a covenant with Abram. He said, I'm giving you this land, the land to your children, from the Nile River in Egypt to the river Euphrates in Assyria, the country of the Canaanites, the Kenizzites, the, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the, the Raphim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, the Jebusites, Mosquito Bites. He said, I'm going to give you, I'm going I'm to I'm give you, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you all that stuff. In Jesus' name, what you need to understand is it was much more than just names and people, but each of those names and people represented something. And I don't have time to get into it, but what those names represented was that even though the environment that I'm calling you to is currently being occupied by things that's taken away your rest, that's taken away your freedom, right now I'm calling you to something that currently is being occupied, but understand that I've given you dominion over those things. And God wants someone to be encouraged tonight saying that he may have put a word in your heart. He may have given you a vision for your future, and you're looking at it and saying to yourself, that maybe somebody or something is currently occupying it, but God said, I'm giving you dominion over it, and you have to be able to walk in the authority that God has given you. Tonight, I'm so encouraged to speak to you guys on a very profound subject, which is the idea of opposition and what God wants from us as a response. And I've entitled this message, Wave Them Like You Just Don't Care. Wave them like you just don't care. You rocking with me, dude. You know what I'm talking about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much, Lord, for your word. God, I thank you for this opportunity, Lord. Holy Spirit, you're welcome, God. I recognize that without you, I can do nothing. So I decrease and ask for you to increase, Father. I pray for the, the minds and the hearts of all of your people, Father. No one is here by accident or mistake. So, Father, I pray for open eyes that we can see you in areas that we haven't seen you. Lord, I pray for open ears that we can hear you in areas that we thought you were silent. And, Lord, I pray for open hearts that we can receive you in areas of pain and bitterness and frustration. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Wave them like you just don't care. Undoubtedly, I'm, 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 I'm confident that we all are familiar with the saying, opposites attract. I think we've all have heard that. We may even have said it on our own from time to time. I'm not trying to throw any shade, but have you ever seen somebody with somebody? And you're like, man, I don't even know how that worked itself out. Like somebody clearly outkicked their coverage on this situation. But what we're realizing is that opposites attract. What you don't realize is that that idea, that thought, that statement really originates from science, so to speak. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break it down for you. Y'all guys didn't know y'all came here for a science lesson, but that's what I do. I try to make sure I give y'all a holistic approach to truth. And so what's happening here is, is we have this idea of, of magnets. And the way that magnets work is they create a magnetic field. And essentially what happens is when a magnetic field is created, the only way that a magnet can connect to something else is that there must be an opposite magnetic field that draws them together. That's where we get the idea opposites attract. Now what happens is if you have two magnets that are emanating the same power that actually repel one another. But what you see is when you have something that has a different influence, the opposites attract. The reason why I, I say all that, the reason why I state all that is because I believe that there's times in our lives that we may feel that we're attracting things that's opposite to the calling that God has placed on our lives. What I believe that can happen from time to time is we can hear a word from God or we can even be called into salvation and then we begin to attract negative influences or begin to attract opposition. I don't know about you, but I remember early in my walk with God that as I said yes to God, there was a whole lot of things that began to come my way and I began to think to myself, I had it a lot easier before I said yes to Jesus. Have you ever found yourself in a place where you said yes to God, but now you find yourself attracting all of the wrong people, all the wrong energy, all the wrong obstacles, and you're wondering to yourself like, Lord, the moment that I made my my mind up to serve you, I find myself being riddled with temptation and opposition and challenges and struggles. These are things that I never expected to have in my life, but all of a sudden, I seem to be attracting the very opposite thing that I thought I was going to get in my life. The reason why I say all that is because when you look at the life of Abraham, 
He's a perfect example of someone who's attract the opposite of what appears to be his calling on his life. You see, we're introduced to Abram in Genesis chapter 11. And up until that point, we don't know much about Abram. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of detail. All we do know is that he was raised in a paganistic family and that he was, his father was a pagan. That was the way that he was raised up. But then God saw something in him. We don't know what it was. And he said, I want to use you to make my name famous. In fact, I want to use you to populate the earth with people of faith. That is a powerful, that is a powerful thing to place on the shoulders of a man. But what we find is from that moment forward, God says, I need you to leave this environment. I need you to leave the environment where you were raised. I need you to leave this environment of comfort. And I need you to follow me to a place that I'm not going to show you just yet. So the moment that Abram said yes to God, he began to find himself facing opposition. We, we know that God tells him that I'm going to make you a, a, a father of nations. I'm going to make sure that you have tons of children. You're going to have a name that's so powerful and influential, and it's going to bring me all the glory. But everything that God promised Abram, he faced direct opposition to that promise from the time he said yes to God. The very moment he said yes to God, think about it. God said to him, man, like, I'm going to use you to have children. And he's like, okay, man, I'm like 75 now. I mean, everything ain't working the way that it used to work. Viagra don't exist back here, but I got you, God, so hopefully everything is going to work itself out. But he's not able to reproduce. I'm not sure if God has ever told you that he's going to use you to do something, but you're saying to yourself, I don't see any ability for me to reproduce in my own strength. And in addition to that, we see that God tells him, like, man, you're going to have a powerful family, man. Your family is going to be pronounced all across this region. The moment that God tells him that, he begins to have beef with his nephew, and he can't even get along with his own family members. Have you ever thought to yourself, like, God, the very thing you promised me that I was going to have, I'm now having opposition with, and now he had to separate from his own nephew. God had given him some instructions. He had given him some promises, but at this very moment, he's finding nothing but opposition. But wait, there's more. God has said, I'm going to bless you and your wife, and you guys are going to have uh, children named after you, and all that. That stuff is wonderful. But the moment that he said that, Abram finds himself navigating through some tough areas. The people are loving on Sarah. They're not really gotten any love for Abram. So he's like, yo, that's my sister. I'm not even married to her. In other words, he denounced his wife. Now, help me to understand, how is it that God is going to use this union to be able to make his name famous on earth, but the moment that he faced opposition, he began to renounce his wife? In addition to that, his brother or his nephew gets kidnapped, and so now he finds out that he has to go and rescue him, and that's where we find ourselves in Genesis 15, where it says, after these things, that these things is Abraham had gone through a whole lot of stuff. A whole lot of these, a whole lot of opposition, a whole lot of challenges. And after he's finally overcome this battle, after he's finally overcome this opposition, he's at a place where he's exhausted. He's tired. But after these things, the Bible says that the word of the Lord came to him. Somebody needs to be encouraged in here tonight and simply knowing that I know that you may have faced some opposition. I know that you may have faced some challenges. But the thing that I want to compliment Abram on is in spite of all the things that he faced, he still positioned himself in an environment where he could hear the word of God. You guys need to, no matter what you're going through, no matter what your circumstances, continue to position yourself to hear what God's word has to say to you because he will encourage you where you are, but also lead you to where you're going. He positioned himself in an environment where he heard from God, and, and essentially he said, Lord, I, I, I hear what you're saying, man, but how can I really know that all this stuff that you said is really going to take place? Like, God, I, I believe you, I trust you, I, I get you, man, but, but I'm, just, I'm at a place now where I've just had so much opposition, I need some help. It's in this moment that God says, okay, man, this is what I want you to do. I want you to, to bring me some, some material. I need you to bring me some ingredients. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna put some stuff on a, on, a, on a crock pot tonight. Can you bring me some materials? Those materials are things that are really things that we should take lightly, though. He, he, he told him to bring him a heifer. 
He told him to bring a goat. He said, bring me a ram. He said, bring me uh, a dove. He said, he said, bring me a young pigeon. And young pigeon is actually only rendered in the Old Testament one time, and that is actually the term eagle. So he's actually telling him to bring a young eagle. So God tells him to bring these ingredients. But what's interesting is those ingredients aren't something that's very random. In fact, each of those ingredients, when you look at the sacrificial system, were ingredients that were used solely for the purpose of ordination and redemption. Solely for ordination and redemption. The next thing I want to draw your attention to is the Bible says that he said, I need them to be at least three years old. Now, when you look at the sacrificial system in the Bible that's going to be established, especially as we begin to move into the book of Exodus, every time a sacrifice is mentioned, it's always saying, bring me a one-year-old um, lamb without spot or blemish. I need something that's, that's young enough that, is kind of, that's, that still hasn't got any scars or scrapes on it, but I need something that's old enough that, it, that has a little bit of maturity. But God says, I want you to bring me something that's three years old. In other words, he was saying, I want you to bring me something that has optimal value. Because when, when, when you have some livestock in your, in your stable that's at least three years old, at this point you can begin to grow a little bit of affection for it because now you've seen it raised up. Now it has value. But God was saying when you come into my place and you're asking me to reaffirm some things I've established for you, I need you to bring a maturity. I need you to bring the ability to let go of some things. I need you to give me the ability to let go of the past. He was saying I want you to bring me something with optimal value. I want you to bring me something with maturity. But he also says, I need you to anchor yourself in the identity that I have established for you. And that is this. You are redeemed. You are ordained. And you have freedom and you are healed. He said, I want you to bring those things to me. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't explain to you what the context of what bring really means. See, there's a big difference between bring me something and go get me something. Because when you bring me something, that means that it's already in my environment. I just need to bring it into the location that I'm currently at. But when I have to go get something, that means I have to leave where I am in order to retrieve it from a spot that's not currently where I am. As a, as a father of three, I got to tell you that there are many milestones that you celebrate. There are many things that you are incredibly excited and happy about. Now, you may be thinking, like, of course, man, maybe it's your child's first steps. Those are awesome, but that's not what I'm talking about. You may be saying, okay, maybe it's your child's first words. Those are great things, but that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is when your kids graduate. And now I'm not talking about when they graduate from elementary school, when they graduate from middle school, high school, or even college. I'm talking about when they graduate and they can actually begin to contribute to the relationship. Because the reality is, for the most part, when you're a parent, it's pretty one-sided. For the most part, let's, let's just call it what it is. Like it's, there, there, you get to a point where it's like, all I do is give, all I do is give. But when they graduate to the place where they actually can start to give back to you, that is something that I look forward to celebrating. I mean, it really is. I mean, I hope I'm not like kind of confessing that I was a bad dad, but I'm just letting you know that it was a big deal when I could actually give my kids instructions and they were able to follow through on it. Now you're able to contribute to this relationship. I remember not too long ago, with each of my kids, they have a different level of what I ask them to do for me. Now, with Keith Jr., he's a big strapping young man. I might ask him to help me move some stuff around. That's great, man. He, he can carry that weight. But I remember with my daughter, that when she got her license, my wife was freaking out. I mean, it's understandable. Like, oh, my God, like she's got her license and people are crazy drivers. I'm like, listen, man, we got somebody that's going to pick up Caleb from school. We got somebody that's going to pick up the food. I mean, it doesn't matter. Like, I mean, it was, it was incredible. I was so excited. So I was giving her opportunities nonstop. I would literally ride past the store, go home just to send her to the store. I would go home and be like, hey, I need you to go and get me something to drink. And she would come back. I'm like, that's not the one I wanted, but I want you to go back again and go get me some chicken. She would come back with a chicken. Okay, I'm 
glad you got me to check. I need you to go back and get some chips. And so she's looking at me like, Dad, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm about as serious as the many trips that I made for you when you needed me to come and pick you up. I'm about as serious as that time we needed me to give you some money. Yeah, I'm serious. I'm about as serious as that time when you called me up because you walked out of, um, out of the home and you had on two separate shoes, got to school, realized that you didn't have shoes on that match and called me up and asked me to come pick you up and I had to drive 45 minutes to drop your stuff off. Yeah, I'm about that serious. I'm still, I'm still working through some things. I'm still working through it. This is, this is therapy. This is therapeutic for me. This is therapeutic. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. So I remember one day I tell her, I said, hey, Denier, I need you to, I need you to go, I need you to go get me uh, a, a soda. We try not to keep too much soda in the house, but I was like, I want you to go get me a soda. And so she's like, are you serious? And I just gave her the look. I said, I'm about as serious as a punch in the face. That's about how serious I am. So needless to say, she goes. Well, after about 20, 25 minutes, it occurs to me that I don't have my cold beverage in my hand just yet. So I begin to make inquiries like, okay, where is my drink? Where is my drink? And so about 28 minutes later, 28, 29 to be exact, I still got it in my mind. She shows up with the drink in her hand. She's like, hey, dad, here you go. I'm like, I get up. At this point, I'm like, I'm laying in my bed. I'm like, get up. I say, listen to me. When I tell you to do something, I expect you to do it right now. I don't want to be waiting for no 30 minutes for no drink. When I tell you to get up and go, I expect you to get up and go right now. And she said, Dad, I had, I had to go to the store, and, I had to go to the store and, and, and bring it to you. And I said, why did you, why did you go to the store? I, I already bought Pepsi. It's, it's actually downstairs in the refrigerator. But she didn't know. She didn't know that I had already picked up what we needed, and it was already in the house. She didn't know that I already bought it, and it was sitting in the refrigerator. So she went all the way to the store to go and buy it and bring it back, and I didn't reimburse her because she should have been more observant. I didn't. I didn't. That's on you. That's on you, boo-boo. I'm sorry. That's, that's on you. But what occurs to me is that there's times in our lives that we feel that we have to go out and get things when God has already paid the price and it's already in the environment that he's called us to be in. See, you have to understand that God didn't tell Abram to go out and get a heifer. He didn't say go out and get those things. He said, I need you to bring them to me because they're already in your inventory. The inventory is already set. It's already stocked. I've already given you freedom. I've already given you breakthrough. I've already given you healing. I've already given you the miracle. I've already given you redemption. I've already given you everything that you need. All I need you to do is go to the environment where it's at and bring it into the middle of this situation. But what happens with us a lot of times is we end up going out thinking, that we have to find a way to try to get our freedom. We have to find a way to get forgiveness. We have to find a way to get our breakthrough. But Jesus said, it is finished. So when he died on the cross and said, it is finished, what he was communicating is everything that you need is found in Jesus. He has given you everything that you need as it relates to life and godliness. You don't have to do any special rituals. You don't have to have a certain special prayer. All you got to do is invite Jesus into the midst of that situation. Allow him to show up. Allow him to go before you. Allow him to be your breakthrough. Allow him to give you your healing. Allow him to be your miracle worker. You have to understand that the ingredients for your miracle are already in your inventory. You already got them because Jesus already paid the price. You see, when, when Abram had to go and simply retrieve the items that he had that was already in his inventory, all he had to do was bring it. All he had to do was bring it. What you need to understand is that the word bring and take are used interchangeably in the Old Testament. In other words, what I'm saying is the Old Testament renders that word as the exact same thing. Bring and take are the same thing. What I realize is that there's times where the enemy may sneak into our camp 
And he may try to reposition some things, but he does not have the authority to take them from you. All he can do is allow life circumstances to call him to get pushed further and further in the back of the shelf. But what we do is we come into the place where God allows us to elevate ourselves on the finished work of Jesus. We move some of those other things to the side, and I can see the freedom, and all I got to do is pull it off the shelf and bring it into the environment that I'm in. You don't have to do anything except get Jesus involved because all the ingredients that you need are already in your inventory. All he had to do was go and all he had to do was bring it into that environment. See, the Bible says that after Abram had, had, had got this revelation, he had brought these animals in. The Bible says that God then instructed him to split them down the middle. This is brutal. See, that they, didn't, they didn't have euthanasia or any of that stuff. So that means that when he began to cut these things in half, they were still alive. This is what the Old Testament flow was. So as he's cutting through, I want you to imagine that he's cutting through the spinal column of this heifer and, and there's blood and Peter wouldn't survive back in the Old Testament. I'm trying to tell you, they just wouldn't make it, but he's cutting these things in half and he begins to separate them. That sounds very messy. But, but he said, God, I, I need you to confirm some things in my life. I need you to confirm that you're really gonna use me. And God said, the first thing I need you to do is anchor yourself in the identity that I've given you the next thing I need you to do is I need you to get your hands involved in some stuff. I, I need you to personally get your hands involved in some stuff, and there's some things that I need you to begin to cut. What is it that God is telling you that it's time for you to cut out of your life? I've, I've learned as I've examined the Bible that there's ultimately three surgical ways to get freedom in your life. It's amputation, limitation, and mortification. Let me break that down for you real quick. Amputation. Matthew 5.30 says that if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. What that means is that there are certain things that you don't got to pray about. You don't got to go and get counsel about it. The Bible's pretty clear. You just need to cut it off. There's things that you just need to cut. What is it that God is asking you to straight cut it off? You don't need to even seek him anymore. Just cut it. The next thing is limitation. Hebrews 12.1 tells us, let us lay aside every sin and weight that easily besets us. Let me explain what that means. What that means is that every weight isn't a sin, but every sin is a weight. What that essentially means is that there may be some things that's in your life that's not a sin, but if you don't begin to limit your exposure to it, it can, op it can ultimately cause you to lose focus and be distracted. The, the last thing I want to do is get on a soapbox about social media, but what I'll tell you is it's not a sin. It's nothing wrong with it, but if it begins to consume you to the point that you lose focus on who God is because you're wrapped up into comparison and you can't let go of your ex because you're stalking them on Instagram, then maybe it's time for you to limit your access to that. It doesn't mean that it's a sin. It doesn't mean that it's anything wrong. What it simply means is that you need to limit your exposure to it. You need to lay aside those things that are causing you to lose focus. But then the last thing is mortification mortification, and, and the Bible tells us that we need to mortify our members. This is what mortification is. Mortification is the process of when you allow the circulation to something to stop being filled into an area so it can eventually lose its life. That's what mortification is. What you'll find when we look at this in scripture is mortification is what happens typically when there's a heart issue. When you're struggling with unforgiveness, when you're struggling with bitterness, when you're struggling with, with offense, what God is saying is I need you to wrap something around that to limit the blood's access to it so it can eventually die off because that's not something that happens overnight. What does that look like when you begin to mortify your things in your body? If you're constantly offended, maybe you need to wrap up those conversations where people are constantly trying to get you to be offended with them so that way that offense will eventually die off so you can actually walk in the freedom that God has for you. What I can tell you is that God is instructing all of us. There's things that we need to cut off, there's things we need to cut back on, but there's also things we need to cut the circulation off to because that's how we begin to experience the freedom that God has for us. Abram graphically begins to cut some things in half and he separates them. 
But the Bible then takes us on to an interesting turn. And what it says is that the birds of prey swoop down. Other translations say vultures swooped down. Now, that's, that's fascinating to me because God instructed Abram to bring to him the resources that he'd already provided for him and to give it to God. Abram had did everything that God had said, but the Bible says that the vultures were attracted to the sacrifice and they swooped down and began to pick away at it. I want to draw your attention to something right now, that whenever we lay something out for God, don't be surprised when the enemy is compelled to come and check it out. Because ultimately, when we lay something down to God, it's a, it's a symbol of sacrifice. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, I die daily. So if I'm dying to myself and I'm laying myself down as a living sacrifice, according to Romans 12, and I'm inviting God to come into it, vultures are attracted to the scent of death. So when I begin to limit myself, I begin to invite God to come into a situation, the vultures are going to come in because they can smell, oh, this person is sacrificing, this person is serving, this person is starting to give. I got to come in and do whatever I can do to try to take the very thing that you're trying to give to God. Don't be surprised that when you lay your marriage down and ask God to get involved, that the enemy wants to then come in and try to pick away at it a little bit more. Don't be surprised that when you begin to say that I want to live for God at my job, that all hell breaks loose and you face more opposition than you ever have. Don't be surprised that when you decide that you want to start giving, that your car breaks down, you got all kinds of things that happen in your life. But what I want you to know is that even though the Bible tells us that the vultures and the birds of prey began to sweep in, that Abram wasn't confident and comfortable with that. The Bible said that he scared them away. He drove them away. In other words, the enemy may come in. He may be drawn to your sacrifice, but your worship is the very thing that's going to drive him away. Your worship is the very thing that's going to scare him off. Your worship is the very thing that's not going to allow him to get comfortable in your environment. I think that we have to go from a posture of watching the enemy move in our situation to beginning to worship God in the midst of our situation and allow God to drive the enemy out of that circumstance. I'm trying to let you know, I'm trying to let you know the enemy is drawn to the areas that you sacrifice to God, but your worship is the very thing that's going to drive him out. You see, your worship keeps the enemy from getting comfortable. It keeps the enemy from getting comfortable. I, I remember just a couple weeks ago, I had flown to, to London. And, 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 and I, I don't mind flying. I really don't. But being on a plane for a long period of time, man, it, it, it's hard to get comfortable. And so ordinarily, when I know that I'm about to travel, I have the same prayer. I pray it all the time, Pastor Clay, every time. I, I'm not praying for the plane because I feel like that's, that's covered. That's the price of admission. I'm not praying for the pilot. I believe that that's covered. That's the price of admission. What I'm praying for is I'm praying for no crying babies. I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I love the kids. I love them. But I'm praying for no crying babies because for me to be on a nine-hour flight, that's a long time to have a baby crying and screaming in your ears. And I mean, I get it. You know, they're, 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 they're on their way to a destination. They're, they're going above, and the altitude is causing their ears to pop. They don't know quite how to communicate it, so they begin to scream. And so now I can't sleep. Now I got to get over to London, and I got bags under my eyes. So I'm praying that God just gives me a plan. I'm like, Lord, if you love me, if I am truly called... If I have any purpose in my life whatsoever, you will show it to be my making sure that there are no babies crying anywhere in this vicinity, anywhere on this plane. And it's something that God has proven to be faithful in, and there's some other areas I got to talk to him about. But what I realized is that when I was trying to relax on my trip to London, I was falling asleep, and I just heard this crying baby. And I was just like, Lord, it's about to go down. I, I need you in this situation, Jesus. I need you to I need you to move in this situation. And I don't know what that mom did, but she must have gave him NyQuil or, or bourbon or something, and that baby was out. But what I can tell you is, what I can tell you is, as long as that baby was crying, I could not get comfortable. 
What I truly believe is that our worship is like the crying baby to the enemy's ears. That even in the midst of our situation, that as we go up higher and higher into a new altitude and we're trying to adjust to the environment that God is calling us into, if you could just lift your voice up and praise the living God, what it does is it keeps the enemy from getting comfortable in your situation. It keeps the enemy from God on his feet to settle in the environment that God has called you to walk in freedom in. Oh, I believe that God is calling us to act and to activate our worship. See, this is why the children of Israel, they had what they call a wave offering. And what a wave offering was, it was taking the thing that they were going to give to God and they would wave it in the air like they just don't care. What they would do is they would say, I'm going to take these finances and I'm going to wave them to God. Because when I wave it to God, it's my way of inviting God into this sacrifice, but it's also a declaration of war to the enemy. I'm letting the enemy know that God has given me something and I'm going to wave it in the air like I just don't care. I'm going to take my marriage and I'm going to wave it in the air because I'm inviting God to get involved in it, but it's also a declaration of war to the adversary. I wonder what would happen if we began to take the things that God has given us and began to wave it in the air like we just don't care. If we took our finances and began to worship like we just don't care. We began to give like we just don't care. I don't care what the enemy says. I don't care what my friends say. I don't care what my mama says. I don't care what my cousins say. What I got to tell you is I'm inviting God in the midst of this situation because Psalms 24 tells me that God inhabits the praises of his people. So when I begin to worship God in the midst of this situation, and though the enemy may be perching on the thing that I've given to God, what I can tell you is when I invite God into this and I begin to worship, God reminds me that the battle's not yours, it's the Lord's. So when I invite God into the midst of this situation and my worship, and I'm calling out his name, and I'm saying in the name of Jesus, I'm going to worship and I'm going to wave my hands like I just don't care. I don't care if I don't have any money. I'm still going to give. I don't care if I don't have any time. I'm still going to serve. I don't care what I don't have. I'm going to take what I do have, and I'm going to worship the living God with every ounce that's in me. And what it does is God says, I'm going to get involved. I'm going to go before you. And what I can tell you is the enemy that you see today, you will never see again. If we only can get to a place where we worship like we just don't care. We give like we just don't care. We serve like we just don't care. We walk in the freedom that God has given us like we just don't care. I want to invite the worship team to come back out and, and join me at this time. The Bible tells us that, that Abram aggressively scared the enemy away. See, your worship is the vehicle that drives the enemy crazy. And though he wants to silence you, and though he wants to try to focus on the thing that you set apart for God, don't allow anything to silence your voice. What's interesting in this text is after all that takes place, after we learn all these incredible things, the Bible tells us is that it gets very, very dark. So just as a recap, Abram says, God, I hear the promises that you have for me. That's awesome. But how, how can I know what's really going to happen? And God says, okay, what I need you to do is I need you to anchor yourself in that thing that I called you to be and recognize that you are saved, that you're free, and that you already have everything that you need according to 2 Peter 1.3. I've given you everything as it relates to life and godliness. It's already in you. The next thing I need you to do is I need you to get your hands involved and begin to do some surgery in some areas of your life. I need you to cut some things out. I need you to cut some things back. I need you to cut some things off. But then lastly, Abram activates his worship and drives the enemy away. After all of that, after laying that all out, the Bible says it gets very dark. Other translations say that it gets terrifyingly dark. So you mean to tell me I've asked God to confirm his word for me? I've asked God to move in the midst of my situation. I've done everything he's asked me to do and it just gets even darker. 
it just gets even more chaotic. I still feel absent and distant from the presence of God. But what the Bible tells me is after that darkness, after that, that distance, after that moment, when Abram probably felt like, I don't know where God is in the midst of this situation, the Bible tells us that a flaming torch shows up. Now, this is symbolism that represents the presence of God. God shows up. And the Bible says that he passes between the pieces. Now, remember, Abram had to brutally cut these things in half, which means it was a mess everywhere. But in its darkest moments, when it didn't appear that the sun was anywhere around, God showed up and he walked right in the middle of the mess. Someone needs to be encouraged in knowing that no matter how messy your life is right now, no matter how dark it is right now, God is about to show up and let you know I'm all in the middle of all of this mess. I'm not afraid of your mess. I'm not afraid of your junk. I am prepared to show up in the midst of it and I will establish a covenant because of it. With every head bowed and with every eye closed, I just wanna ask two simple questions. If you're in here tonight and you would say, Keith, man, there's some areas of my life that I, that I need God to get involved in. Maybe there's some, some, some tension at work, some drama at home, some financial struggles, whatever that looks like. But you would just simply say, Keith, yeah, there's some areas of my life that I need God to get involved. If, if that's you, I wanna include you in a prayer. Could you signify it by, by raising a hand? Amen, amen, hands up everywhere. Hands up everywhere, amen. You can put those down. Here, here's my second question. With every head bowed still and, and every eye closed, my next question is, if you're in here tonight and you will say, Keith, I don't really have a relationship with God. As Pastor Stovall says, it's not a matter of whether you're a Christian or not a Christian because that means different things to different people. But you wouldn't know that I'm away from God right now. Maybe you had a relationship, but, but honestly, you're not where you know that God is calling you to be. But the Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. And if today is the day that you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart, I'm asking you not to walk away without allowing the Holy Spirit to do a work in your life by first giving your life to Christ. If that's you, I just want you to signify by raising your hand on the count of three. I wanna pray for you. One, two, three. Amen, amen, amen. Hands up everywhere, my God, amen. Church, can we put our hands together for everyone that's made a decision to give their life to Christ? Hands up everywhere, I don't even think y'all understand. But here's what I wanna do, here's what I wanna do. I want everyone to stand on their feet, but the next thing I want is for everyone that raised your hand, whether it's that you wanted prayer or whether it's you were giving your life to Christ, I want you to come down to this altar right now. Don't, don't, don't take any seconds because I wanna pray for you guys and then I wanna be able to go into uh, what God has for us tonight. Come on church, if they're coming, we're clapping. If they're coming, we're clapping. We're celebrating with them. If they're coming, we're clapping. If they're coming, we're clapping. These are people that are that are saying yes to God. These are people that are inviting God in the midst of their situation. These are people who are walking in freedom. These are people who are getting their breakthrough. These are people who are getting their miracle. Before, before I pray, I wanna, I wanna share this thought with you. I wanna share this thought with you. As I alluded to earlier in this message, I said, how we began to unpack the idea of how opposites attract. And, and, and I kind of packaged it around the idea that we have a tendency to attract drama. We have a tendency to attract pain and suffering. But I will actually tell you that there's nothing that's further from the truth. The reality is our pain and our suffering and our discomfort, if opposites attract, 
means that we're attracting the opposite, which is actually God. Your suffering and your pain, God is about to get involved in it because he's attracted to your pain, which is why he died on the cross in the person of Jesus Christ. Someone needs to be encouraged in knowing this, that there's not a situation that you're facing, there's not a thing that you have done that Christ did not consider when he took it to the cross. So what I wanna do right now is I wanna pray for those who are giving their life to Christ, and then secondly, I wanna pray for those who are saying, Jesus, I need you to get involved. We have more space. Come on, I want you guys to come around to the front of this altar so we can make room for everyone that's coming up. So as a family, can we all pray this prayer together? We're praying this alongside of those who are praying this prayer for the first time, simply just saying, yes to God. Repeat after me, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I invite you into my life. Fill me with your spirit. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose from the dead. And because of that, I am saved, I am free, I am healed, and I am delivered in Jesus' name. Now, I wanna pray for everyone that's in here. And I just want you guys to lift your hands up as a sign of worship because we're gonna put our hands in the hair and wave them like we just don't care. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you see every hand that's lifted in this place. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you personally get involved in the midst of every situation that's represented at this altar. For the person that is struggling with unforgiveness, Father, I pray that you give them freedom. For the person that is struggling with their finances, God, I pray that you give them their breakthrough. For the person that is struggling with sickness, I pray that you give them healing. Father, in the name of Jesus. Allow our worship to be an invitation for you to get involved in the midst of our situation. In the name of Jesus, we declare freedom. We declare healing. We declare breakthrough. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen.